Well, I think one thing that Sky really does well and benefits from is just organization. Hey, podcast listener, you're listening to the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, the weekly podcast where we discuss all the issues that cyclists talk about. Whether you're out training, commuting, or just riding around, sit down and listen in, because we're about to begin. I got something to say, man. Yo, welcome to episode 134 of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, where we believe that only a semi-pro cyclist rides for love and not money. If you stick around to the end, I'll fill you in on the quote from the top of the show and let you know who likes Sky's organization. Hey there, semi-pros. My name is Damien Roos. I'm the founder of Semi-Pro Cycling, home of the Semi-Pro Cyclist, and you can find this episode at semiprocycling.com forward slash burnout. And we are starting with the performance probe this week. And probe number one is a study called Mental Fatigue Does Not Affect Maximal Anaerobic Exercise Performance. The aim of the study was to induce a state of mental fatigue to examine the effects of performance, physiological, and perceptual variables from subsequent tests of power, strength, and anaerobic capacity. Twelve participants took part in a single-blind, randomized, crossover-design study. Mental fatigue was induced by 90 minutes of the computer-based continuous performance task, The control treatment consisted of 90 minutes of watching emotionally neutral documentaries. Participants consequently completed counter-movement jump, isometric leg extension, and three-minute all-out cycling tests. So what were the results? Well, there was no difference in any performance or physiological variable. Rating of perceived exertion tended to be greater when mentally fatigued and intrinsic motivation reduced in the mental fatigue condition. Not by a lot though, but anyway, the conclusions here are that near identical responses in performance and physiological parameters between mental fatigue and control conditions suggest that peripheral mechanisms primarily regulate maximal anaerobic exercise, whereas mental fatigue can negatively impact submaximal endurance exercise. It appears that explosive power, voluntary maximal strength, and anaerobic work capacity are unaffected. So this is really telling me that your state of mind going into and during maximal efforts does not explicitly help you through them. Unlike the other theories to do with submaximal fatigue, this really, from this one study, is saying that there's nothing mentally that you can really do to prepare because your body's just going to take over and the results are going to be the same no matter what you think about what you are doing. So there is no way around it. You have to look after yourself mentally and physically to get the most out of yourself in shorter, high-intensity efforts. Okay, probe number two is an article from Inc. Magazine, and it's basically just more Brailsford wisdom. I've taken the four best recommendations he had. So here's number one. Measure the wrong thing, get the wrong results. Big data is a challenge for all of us, Brailsford says. It's an area where everybody's trying to steal a march on each other. Fitness trackers and other tools of the quantified self-movement can be enormously motivational, but they can also mislead. In cycling, it helps to have a low total body weight, but it's the power-to-mass ratio that really determines performance. A rider who focuses on cutting weight is liable to underhydrate or drop muscle mass. By the same token, if you're using an app to measure how much of your day is spent being productive, you may be depriving yourself of the unstructured time and daydreaming that's key to creative problem solving. 
Number two, don't confuse goals with targets. Brailsford works closely with Team Sky's psychiatrist Steve Peters and Fran Miller, whose title is Head of Winning Behaviors. The three make a point of stressing the difference between goals, which can and should be lofty and inspirational, and targets, which should be specific and attainable. It's the difference between I want to be the best in the world and I want to shave 15 seconds off my mile this week. Confusing the two leads to a sense of frustration and unfulfillment, while a properly designed program of escalating targets creates a sense of satisfying momentum and positive reinforcement. Number three, there's no such thing as commitment without suffering. Having properly aligned goals and targets does riders no good if they don't have a realistic understanding of the pain and deprivation required to achieve them. The coaches do their best to lay out all obstacles ahead, big and small, and use what they call a hunger index to gauge how serious riders are about following through. In our sport, you're going to be hungry, he explains. You're going to have to get down to unsustainable levels of body composition you can't lose weight without being hungry number four hierarchy is your enemy one of the most important challenges Brailsford made at British cycling was upending the perceived pecking order the dictate and control management he found when he arrived discouraged riders from taking ownership of their performance we took the crown if you like off the coach's head and put it on the rider's head he says we told them you are the king or queen you're the one who's going to get the medal all these people around you are basically there as expert advisors or supporters. The effect, he says, was almost instantaneous. Some of the writers who were maybe less motivated, they flipped over and were on fire. Brailsford also put this philosophy into practice for the team's support staff, since massage therapists and mechanics often are the ones talking to the writers the most, they're frequently the ones who spot solutions first. The team instituted an idea of the month contest to capture them. Ideas have value, they don't have rank, Brailsford likes to say. Definitely four good lessons from Sky, and I would say that Sky this year is on target to win a classic. So let's see if they can pull it off. Bike racing, there's a lot I I hate about it, but it's just, it's the necessary evil to be able to ride your bike every day. I love, like, just the simple idea of riding. My feelings for that and my, you know, need for that are great enough that I deal with all the shit and yeah that's that's how I justify it every day you go out and ride and you know you can you, you can push yourself to breaking point and you do push yourself and that's you know that's the purpose of the sport is is to suffer for longer than anyone else This is Angus and Lachlan Morton from their documentary, Thereabouts, number one. A tale about two brothers riding across Australia from Port Macquarie to Uluru in the centre of Australia. It was more than just about an adventure riding through Australia, though, as at the time Lachlan was a pro with Garmin Sharp, and years before Angus had burnt out on the sport of cycling. 
For me, these opening lines put up some red flags immediately. The language used, the words used to describe his job. It seemed to me that Lachlan was on the edge of burnout himself. And this is probably what motivated the trip in the first place, to rediscover cycling. But not only Lachlan, Angus also had his demons to shed. So it was no surprise that in the season after this was filmed, Lachlan quit Garmin Sharp. He had one of the worst seasons ever, and he was looking for a new team to rediscover his racing mojo and also to be part of a push by his older brother, Gus, to return to the sport. They have found a home now on Jelly Belly in the US racing together. This story is one of burnout, but it's also one of prevention. A bold move if you ask me, but I'm sure if you asked Lachlan, he would have it no other way. In this episode, we're going to explore what burnout is. We're going to look at the cause and symptoms of burnout, how to assess whether you are at risk, and strategies for its prevention and treatment. This episode is based on an article in the Peak Performance Newsletter by Dr. Adam Nichols. It's called Understanding Burnout in Sport, Strategies for Treatment and Prevention. Dr. Nichols is a senior lecturer in the Department of Sport, Health and Exercise Science at the University of Hull. All right, so burnout, overtraining, and overreaching. I've spoken about managing overreaching and preventing overtraining way back in episode 32. In that episode, I didn't talk about burnout, though. But burnout is on the spectrum of conditions along with overreaching and overtraining. And as a reminder, overreaching involves training at higher than normal training loads, which leads to temporary declining performance. But the athlete recovers after a period of rest. Overtraining occurs after a period of intense training in which the athlete does not recover for at least two months or more. The symptoms of overtraining can be very severe and include extreme tiredness and hormonal changes. Burnout takes this even further and represents a response to chronic stresses that eventually results in the athlete withdrawing from his or her sport It's serious business, and Dr. Nichols introduces a study conducted by researchers from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology, which highlights five main symptoms of burnout. The first one, affective symptoms, example, depressed mood. The second, cognitive symptoms, example, feeling helpless. Number three, physical symptoms, example, feeling ill. Number four, behavioral symptoms, example, reduced performance. And number five, motivational symptoms, Example, lacking enthusiasm. These symptoms help us to get an idea of what technically is considered burnout. Regarding a definition, though, there are some discrepancies amongst researchers which has resulted in different definitions and models developed to explain this construct. One accepted definition by researchers from the Michigan State University is a physical, emotional, and social withdrawal from a formerly enjoyable sport activity. This withdrawal is characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, reduced sense of accomplishments, and sport devaluation. Moreover, burnout occurs as a result of chronic stress, a perceived or actual imbalance between what is expected of an athlete physically, psychologically, and socially, and his or her response capabilities, and emotional orientations and changes in the athlete. So this breaks down to a few main elements and simply stated burnout 
is a consequence of long-term stress on the athlete and results in them eventually ceasing participation in their chosen sport because he or she feels unable to meet the physical and or psychological demands of competing. And it's serious business for pros and for amateurs. It's not an easy decision to quit a sport you once loved. It's something that I've done before and I would say It's what happens after you quit that is the deciding factor and ultimately how it sits with you. So you would want to take steps in actually working out if you are well and truly burnt out. Knowing the characteristics of burnout is the first step in understanding exactly where you're at. So what are the characteristics of burnout? The same researchers from the Michigan State University expanded on the symptoms of burnout described by the researchers from the Norwegian University of Science and Technology and indicated that there are four main characteristics, exhaustion, personal accomplishment, depersonalization, and devaluation. So let's go through them, starting with exhaustion. Athletes who have burnt out or are experiencing symptoms of burning out but are still involved in their sport experience physical and or psychological exhaustion. This can mean that the athlete experiences either a combination of or all of the following. Lack of energy, a lack of interest in their sport or in general and no longer trust certain people such as coaches. Accomplishment. The athlete who is burnt out or is close to burning out will believe that his or her achievements in the sport are low in comparison to other peers. Furthermore, a telltale sign of this decreased view of personal accomplishment is that athletes will exhibit less effort in training and performances may start to deteriorate. Depersonalization. This refers to athletes being unresponsive or negative towards people they are usually friendly with, such as parents, friends, or coaches. Being impersonal is thought to be a consequence of being psychologically and physically exhausted. And the final one, devaluation. This occurs when athletes care much less about their sport and how they perform. You might have experienced all or some of these characteristics at certain points in your life, not just as an athlete, which is why I think this topic is such an important one to cover. It's useful engaging where you're at with a range of interests in your life. It's a little vague, though, to leave you hanging here because right now you may be thinking, okay, so... I've got a bit of all these happening right now, but what happens? What do I do next? Much like a med student or a lowly psych student like myself, I remember getting the textbook, and this happens, I think, to a lot of these students. You get the textbook about all these different symptoms and all these different conditions, and you diagnose yourself and Pretty much, I think, by the end of reading the textbook, you've diagnosed yourself with every single condition listed. So to help you make better decisions about where you're at, a researcher from the University of Washington proposed a model that describes the process of burnout, which occurs in four progressive stages. Stage one demands of the situation. The first factor that initiates the path to burnout amongst athletes is the demands of the situation. Placing high physical demands on an athlete, such as the athlete being instructed to spend many hours training and or psychological demands of an athlete. This is a coach or parent exerting pressure on the athlete to win over a prolonged time can lead to burnout. A structured environment has to be balanced with free time or training or in our case, just writing. It is easy to get caught up in the small details and really lose sight of why you're doing certain workouts or things to do with your cycling. And just like Brailsford said, 
you need some unstructured time. Stage two, appraisal. Athletes evaluate the demands placed on them with regards to whether they think they have the resources to manage it successfully or unsuccessfully. According to a researcher from the University of California, situations can be appraised as a challenge or a threat. A threat appraisal comes when an athlete feels that he or she has the resources to cope, which results in an athlete being concerned about what might go wrong. A challenge appraisal occurs when an athlete feels that he or she can cope with the demands and focuses positively on the stress and sees it positively. I had a discussion with an athlete about this the other day. It related directly to a two-part workout that I had prescribed them. The athlete spoke about looking at the day's training and after a quick assessment, decided to drop the second part of the workout in favor of a split session later on in the day. This is a good example of managing the workload and knowing what they can cope with. From my perspective, this was a good conversation to have. I know this and similar workouts are extremely challenging and I put them in there to be challenging because if the athlete comes out on the other side from completing them, they're going to be stronger. But on the other hand, I would be a fool to scold any athlete for dropping this part of their workout. And by scold, well, scold is the wrong word, but I I hope you know what I mean. It's a sign that as a coach, I have to listen to and learn about what this athlete can handle amongst their other responsibilities. And it's a gauge that if I push them to do it, that they may crack. Stage three, physiological responses. Generally, burnout is associated with threat appraisals rather than challenge appraisals. If a situation or sport is perceived as being threatening over a prolonged period of time, it can result in athletes experiencing only a few, if any, pleasant emotions, example, happiness, excitement, or joy. It is characterized by athletes reporting negative emotions such as anxiety, fatigue, and increased likelihood of developing viral infections such as a cold. I know this one and have just been through a down period with a few of the athletes I coach. Part of this was both parties, coach and athlete, pushing hard to get the most out of the last uninterrupted block before the season starts. In some cases, we went close to the edge and in others, we may have gone over it. My red flags always go up when I start seeing the language change in feedback and ride reports. In some cases, communication is reduced even further. There are no virtual high fives and things are generally just a little gloomy. I'm sure you recognize mood changes and whether you're not fun to hang around, mostly after the fact though, but We can have our down days. If this goes on for weeks, then it needs to be addressed. Releasing the structure a little and getting back to why we love to ride in the first place is the first step here. Stage four is the final stage, and this is when the athlete attempts to cope with stresses and emotional responses. If the athlete's attempts to cope fail and his or her performance deteriorates, there may be some relationship difficulties with friends or parents, and the enjoyment of sport will diminish. A consequence of this is that the athlete may withdraw from his or her sport. It should be also noted that not all athletes who withdraw from sport have burnt out. This is the final stage. It would be pretty clear by now that quitting would seem like the best option once you've gone through all these stages. If you can't see any positives from continuing and it's affecting those around you, then this is not a bad way out. It's not easy. 
having been through and survived this stage, when I look back, I have a better understanding of myself and my future decisions because I understand the process getting to these decisions better. To help you know where you are, researchers from East Carolina University developed a questionnaire in order to assess burnout. You can see an updated version of this questionnaire to assess your own levels of burnout on the post page at semiprocycling.com forward slash burnout. This measure of burnout includes three components that are markers of overall burnout. The first one is reduced sense of achievement. The second is emotional and physical exhaustion. And the third is sport devaluation. I'm not going to read out every question from the questionnaire, but to give you an idea of what's in there, it's things like, am I not achieving worthwhile things in my sport? I don't seem to be achieving too much in my sport. My sporting performances don't match my ability. So you get an idea here that The questions are really aimed at seeing what you're thinking about your sport, how you're approaching it, and whether you are just exhausted from thinking about competing or even training. I also will put up the scoring for the questionnaire on the post page, and you can add up all the questions to reveal your overall burnout score in addition to adding up certain questions to reveal your score for the reduced sense of achievement, emotional and physical exhaustion, and sport devaluation subscales. If you do get an overall score between 35 and 54, though, you are starting to get on the edge of showing signs of burnout. So it's really important for us to go through some strategies for the prevention and treatment of burnout. One thing to note here that researchers have not explicitly explored the effects of interventions to reduce or treat burnout amongst athletes. The findings from recent research can be applied to help you prevent burnout occurring or treat burnout if it has occurred. These are, firstly, skill development. Researchers from the University of California suggested that athletes, particularly youth athletes, should focus more on developing skills within their sport as opposed to spending excessive amounts of time on training, which could increase the chances of exhaustion. Indeed, these authors called for more emphasis to be placed on skill development, but less emphasis on winning and competition at youth levels. So this is this thing of not providing this overwhelming exhaustion by training when you aren't really ready for it. So spend time on skills. Spend time working on your sprint or your climbing technique or in track riding, your Madison arm sling, whatever it is. Spend time doing all these different things that you normally wouldn't get the time to do and with the idea of refreshing your approach to the sport while also building up those skills so that they're better when you do get back to a competitive level. The next one is hope. And while it seems a little woo-woo, researchers at the Karstad University found that those who felt more hope reported far fewer symptoms of burnout. As such, you can reduce the likelihood of burnout or treat burnout by increasing the amount of hope you feel. Hope can be increased by a variety of strategies, such as setting achievable goals that push you, but with effort can be attained. Visualize how you are going to achieve your goals. See yourself doing the things you need to do in order to achieve your goals. Engage in positive self-talk. When you have any negative thoughts, change these to positive thoughts. And focus on what you can gain from stress situations rather than what could go wrong. It's also the way that you look at the problems that you're faced with in burnout. Strategies that reduce the occurrence of burnout was looked at by researchers from the University of Leeds, and they found that athletes who used problem-focused coping mechanisms, this is strategies that seek to eliminate the stressor, were associated with fewer burnout symptoms. On the other side of that, 
Researchers from the University of British Columbia found that coping strategies associated with burnout were when athletes used disengagement-orientated strategies, so strategies which were associated with them ceasing in attempts to achieve their goals. And these athletes were more likely to experience burnout. Additionally, researchers from the University of Leeds found avoidance strategies were associated with burnout. As such, it is important to avoid using these strategies. Part of this is knowing how you handle stressful situations, such as knowing whether you are a flight or a fight person, so you can combat the stressor in the better of the two ways for this instance, which is fight. Part of all of this is having control over your own environment, and researchers from the East Carolina University have argued that athletes should have more say in decisions that are made regarding practice sessions and competitions. If, for example, you are an athlete that feels he or she has little to say in what you do when training or competing, this is things like deciding what competitions you enter, what types of training that you do, it is important that you speak to your coach and ask for more input into what your training schedule consists of and the competitions that you participate in. By now, you should have a better understanding of what burnout consists of And if you go back and check out episode 32, you'll get a better understanding of overtraining, then overreaching, then burnout. And you'll be able to put all these together and you'll be able to see where you are along with the questionnaire. My final bit of advice for this topic is that if you feel that you need more support on this issue, talk to your coach or a friend or a parent or a partner or even a sports psychologist. There is no need to make the call to quit your sport alone. No one should force you to do what you don't want to do, but it is important to talk about all of the options before making that final call. All right, the tech hacks and products section, and this week it's a product, but it's a little cheeky, but I'll get to that in just a moment. It is the Cosmed K4B2. The K4B2 is a portable system for pulmonary gas exchange measurement. What does that mean? It basically means you can wear this backpack and face mask and do a VO2 max test anywhere you want. It's pretty amazing technology and it just reduces everything down. I remember doing the big test with with the big wine bags and then slowly it started reducing down and digital. But now having a kit that you can wear on your back and a mask on your face and do the test anywhere, it's pretty amazing. And not only VO2 max test, it has a GPS system, it has a pulse oximeter, it can do resting energy expenditure. It's got a whole bunch of different tests that it's useful for. The only kicker is, and here's the cheeky bit, it's $28,000 US dollars. So I won't be buying one anytime soon. But if you want to check it out, I'll put the link in the show notes. You could go for the cheaper option that Cosmed makes, the Fitmate Pro. And that's only 8900 USD. And now that quote from the top of the show, it's Joe Dombrowski, the troubled prodigy. He made the move from Sky to Cannondale Garmin this year after a difficult year dealing with knee problems in 2014. It will be interesting to see his role in 2015 as sidekick to the Pitbull. I would consider Joe Bro to be a GC contender one day. I just want to know if Vorders thinks the same thing. And that's it. You've been listening to the Semi-Pro Performance Podcast. Remember to head over to semiprocycling.com forward slash support to donate to help keep the podcast going strong. But till next week, get on your bike and enjoy the pain cave or the hurt box, whichever one you're into. (laughs) 